Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Customers. Equitable Bank. We take banking personally. Member FDIC. Now, back to Severe Reaction. Powered by Equitable Bank. We take banking personally. Here's your host, Michael Sevier on 1620 The Zone. Simon gets the shotgun snap. Huskers send a corner blitz. Simon steps, throws. Pass intercepted. Picked off Go, by baby. Miles Farmer. Go, baby. 35 to the 30. Rook tied down to the 27-yard line. Miles Farmer's fourth career INT. Yes! Casey awaits the snap. Gets it. Play actions. Back to throw. Step throws for the end zone. Looking for Trey Palmer. He makes a catch. Touchdown, oh, Nebraska. Baby. <laughs> what a throw and catch. Casey Thompson to Trey Palmer in the back of the end zone. Welcome back. Severe reaction here on 1620 The Zone. Sudden change. One of the most important parts of the football game at any level. We saw a sudden change with the block punt and then Nebraska's defense stepping up and forcing a field goal. And then you see sudden change right there. Miles Farmer making a great interception and then saying, let's take a shot play right after that. They go after, uh, they go to Trey Palmer for the touchdown. Um, sudden change. It's so important. That, the middle third of the game, the last four minutes of the first half and first four minutes of the second half are incredibly important. Um, and then sudden change when whether you get a turnover or you turn the ball over. What do your defense do? What does your offense do? And we saw two examples in the game of a team having great success with sudden change. It's great to be able to allow zero points you know, after the block punt. With the yard line they were on, that's almost impossible. But to do it the way they did it in only force three was uh, really admirable. Big plays I was talking about um, from Friday night. There's the block punt and what Gunnarsson did to make that tackle. Uh, Rutgers interception. Uh, the OPI, and we played that a little bit earlier for you, the one they called on Trey Palmer. I thought it was a good call, but still, 50-yard change right there. Uh, another Rutgers interception. Uh, the OPI that happened later, that was a minus 27 yards on Rutgers, which I'm not sure that actually was an OPI. It, it was That was one of the themes of the, sh- of the game on Friday night. OPIs. I've never seen that many called over the course of a weekend in the NFL. To see four called in a game is remarkable. Only three were accepted, though. All right, let's go back to uh, our guest list. A couple guys from Columbus. We start off with Mike Schaefer from 24-7 Sports joining us here on Severe Reaction. What's up, Schaefer? How you doing? I am uh, I'm doing well. I apologize for my voice. It's probably a little, uh, little scratchy. Did some celebrating yesterday, as you might surmise. So, uh, you know, ready to, ready to roll. That was, that was the best 15-inning 0-0 game that I've ever watched. So, you know. What can you uh, What can you say? So let me just check this out. You're talking about the Major League Baseball that happened yesterday. Yeah, I'm just playing. Yeah, uh, I that... probably explain because I know you stopped paying attention. <laughs> the best one though. Yeah, yeah, they did. I, I saw that. I saw they won. I was I was very happy for them. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just can't. It was. I checked. I'm, I'm going to admit. I turned over three or four times to see what the Indians were doing. One because of you, and then the other, the guy I watch the Saints with every Sunday is also an Indian Indians fan. 
And so I'm, I'm checking out to see what's going on, and I forgot how slow baseball was. I just forgot. It just, I was like, oh, my God. Just pitch the ball. Pitch the ball. I just, I forgot for a second, not watching baseball all year, how slow it is. See, you would have loved Friday's game because it was played in a crisp two hours and 17 minutes. Nice. And, uh, you know, the the Guardian starter basically always has the ball. Like, right, he's the fastest pitcher in baseball when he's working. Nice. And it's just, it's great. I wish everyone operated with that premise. Cut the game down by about an hour. Get everybody <laughs> on with their life. Instead, like- we, uh, we doubled it yesterday. Yeah, it was, it was solid. That's I great. Like I mean, every game I've watched has a, has a one point outcome now, right? So with uh, <laughs> yes. the Guardians on Friday, one two to one, they won one nothing yesterday in Nebraska's game, fourteen thirteen, which I suspect is more what you're interested in talking. About. Yeah, you you always have those tie-ins, though. Because I remember one year, I guess maybe that was last year, where Nebraska had all the one score losses and the Vikings had one score losses, right? Yeah, that was oh, last year. Man. Yeah, sorry about that. Something about me, I suppose. <laughs> it's I not your fault. Teams to follow. Well, in the words of Goodwill Hunting, it's not your fault. Not your fault. Um, Thank you. First of all, before we get to the game on Friday night, and I know you watched a lot of baseball yesterday, but how enjoyable is it when the team you have to cover is off and you can actually maybe get into watching a little college football of the other teams? Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, I was able to – most of the attention that I put on was on TCU Kansas. Yeah. Uh, Had the TV set up, and that was like the best game to have going while the marathon baseball game was going on. And then got a little – Got a little UCLA-Utah in there. Nice. Miami-North Carolina. Some uh, Stanford-Oregon State towards the very end. Um, trying to think of what else. I didn't watch any of Purdue-Maryland. That's a good game. It sounds like that might have been a mistake. It's a good game. Sure, looking at the box score, it looks like that game was quite a roller coaster. Man, Maryland shot themselves in the foot constantly. It, it, with that theme, when I went back and I watched the, the Rutgers game this morning, I came away not feeling the same way I did Friday night. I came away going, God, Rutgers just gave that game away. I know it doesn't matter in the, the W is an L, but do you feel that way, that it was more Rutgers losing it and then Nebraska winning it? What was your thoughts? Uh, I don't know how exactly I, I'd sort of divvy that up, but it, it felt like in the first half there was almost no way Nebraska had a chance of winning that game. The yeah. Rutgers was just sort of dictating everything. Then you kind of notice as it's going on, and I'm sure when you rewatch it, it's even more evident. Their offense really didn't do anything right after the third drive of the game. I mean, even just the statistics of it, I think they had almost half of their total rushing yards came in the first three drives. Yep. And then after that, you know, it's it, like they stopped either giving it to Samuel Brown or finding ways to get him in space. Because Nebraska wasn't tackling him very well. Even right. later in the game, they weren't tackling him very well. That screenplay. Um, that screenplay. Remember? They just let right. him run right through him. Right. Yeah. So uh, that was a little surprising. I thought they were, I, you know, everyone's on, uh, on Whipple for the fourth and one and everything. But yeah. I thought the Rutgers play calling was sort of bizarre in the second half. Like, you're not a good passing team, and yet you're just chucking these, like, 35-yard passes down the field and, Maybe you're just hoping to hit one of those because you know your offense can't really do much of anything else. But it just felt like they let Nebraska hang around and hang around and hang around. And then you you tweeted it. I give you all the credit. Like you pointed out, basically the the way to beat them was to to get the ball to Anthony Grant through the air and those late releases for both him and Travis Vokalek or other tight ends. Those were there all night. Nebraska finally started finding them in the second half and. Uh, they took advantage of that. Yeah, but I, I mean, it wasn't 
it was certainly not a pretty win or anything else. But I, I give him a lot of credit for sticking in that game because it feels like there was a tipping point where that could have easily been like a twenty to nothing shutout. Yeah. You know I'm a, I'm a man of making lists. Mike Schaefer joining us from 24-7 Sports. And I used to have a list somewhere, and I can't find it, of the best offensive lines for Nebraska since I've been covering the team since 2002. And I, I'm not sure I can remember a worse pass pro offensive line than this one. And maybe there is one I just can't remember. Maybe maybe 2 was. I'm not sure. But I it, 20 pressures or 20 hurries on 36 dropbacks, that's unreal. Yeah. Well, it, it what it should do is, have Nebraska fans give some grace to Casey Thompson. Yeah. He obviously had those two interceptions that weren't great, but at the same time, I mean, he just never gets a clean pocket. Even some of the throws he made on Friday night, like he has to hang in there until the last second before he can release that ball. So it's kind of remarkable how often he kind of hits guys in stride because he doesn't get, you know, it's, it's just not a, it's not a very clean situation for him to throw. And so you, you kind of have to take what you can with it. So the, the offensive line has been really bad um, all year. It's not a surprise. That it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. They weren't good coming into the year. Yeah, We heard all the talk about the, the attitude reset. But that wasn't – I mean, you watched them last year and their tackles mm-hmm. couldn't hand-punch anybody and they couldn't right. set themselves up uh, you know, against the pass rush. So I don't – I'm not entirely sure that there should have been any optimism at all for it. And I, there's no fixes that make sense. I right. mean, there's just – they've rotated how many players on this line. And honestly, the only lineman that I feel like I never have uh, a highlight of in a game that just getting beat is Trent Hicks. Hickson, yeah. He's like the one rock-solid lineman they have. Right. Everything else is just a disaster. And the, the fact they've won two games in a row in conference – with a line that, that you know, I, I tell you outright, that's the worst offensive line, or this is the worst offensive line you've seen and I've seen, and Nebraska fans have seen, uh, because there's just no way that anyone's been worse than this. Like, it's just incredible. You know what as I've, I've learned through this whole extra COVID year and stuff is BYU had an incredible advantage over these years because every time Nebraska gets these 23, 24-year-old players, Trent Nixon's 23, um, and a half at this point, it, it you just you just better you're you're better when you're a grown man than you are when you're younger. Um, whether it be a JoJo Doman or that whole secondary last year, it's it's good to be old, have older players, don't you think? Yeah, no, I mean I I think you're absolutely right. It, it's certainly been an eye opening experience because we spend so much time talking about getting the young guys on the field. Yeah, and really what it is is you just need to grow old. I can't remember if that was a Mike Riley quote or a Scott Frost, Scott Frost quote. was a head coach Scott Frost. Yeah. About, you know, you want to, you want to get old and stay old. Yep. And that's something this program has not been good at doing aside from the COVID year of, of giving, you know, or really last year where they had that opportunity to bring those seniors back. Otherwise it's just been so much changeover that you don't have enough depth to, to where you're really kind of getting old. So it, it is kind of interesting as you look around college football a lot of the top teams have been able to take advantage of that. And then the teams that are sort of having breakout runs have taken advantage taken advantage of it as well. Hey, Shafe, when you look at that offensive line, and, and as a guy, you obviously cover recruiting, it, is it more of a just misevaluation of the guys they recruited, recruited the wrong guys? Is it purely development? How, how do you explain going out and getting some four stars, guys that people wanted, and it not working out? 
I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I you know, the recruiting services, and obviously I work for one of them. Um, Bryce Benhart might have been a little aggressive where he was put at. I, mm-hmm. I think that there's some real concerns with arm length and, and footwork and that. And then you have a guy like Turner Corcoran, where I think he's probably appropriately rated, but he needs to be an interior offensive lineman. I, I feel about Turner Corcoran how I did about Matt Farnia. Oh, yeah. Like you're setting him up to fail by having him play tackle when he's just not a tackle. Like it's just not, you know, it's not that he can't do it in a pinch, but you're asking a guy to be a left tackle in one of the toughest conferences in the country going against generally men that are edge rushers. I mean, how many edge rushers have come out of the Big Ten in recent years? So you've got to be pretty good in that spot, and he's a guard. Like, I I think the best version of this team would have him at, you know, left guard, but they just don't have any other answer at tackle. And so, uh, and then, you know, you look at it elsewhere, and it's like, okay, Ethan Piper was a converted defensive lineman to – to offensive line or I mean was was sort of brought in as a defensive lineman and then they shifted him over to the offensive line right and he started you know quite a few games but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's been particularly good uh Brant Brant Banks same same situation uh you have Brock Bando over there and it's the same situation so it's it's a combination of yeah. you know they're trying to get the most out of their roster but it's also just been it's sort of the lack of development, and this is a thing that hampers Nebraska at every position. It just feels like their top guys have not developed in the way that they wanted them to. They kind of just get to a point, and then they stay at that point, and they never really get better. And that's just not a way that a, a football team can survive. I didn't see an update on Luke Reimer and what his injury is, and I know that Newsom was out. Can, can this team be able to stay with Purdue if those two guys aren't playing next week? It will be uh... – It'll be very tough. I mean, those are those are important people in your defense. And, and Luke Reimer, I mean, has probably what? I mean, did he play? He played in the second half a little bit, right? I didn't. Or was it the first the, the, half? First half that, that play. You know the play where they ran the wildcat and he had to completely circle back to make the tackle on the sideline. That's yep. the last play that I saw him this morning when I rewatched the game. I don't think he played again after that. But I didn't yeah, see him. So then, he, I mean, he, he's coming off the maybe the six best quarters. Of, uh, of football for him, and so you, you certainly would like to have him. And in Nebraska, I mean, they had the injury with Nick Henrich earlier this year, and, yeah. and they just, um, you know, Etteva Malga Clement kind of fell behind Ernest Hausman, and now Clement has moved back up. He had a good second half, but uh, you, you want that guy against Purdue. You want Luke Reimer on the field. You want – I mean, this is a tough game. I, I looked at Purdue coming into the year as, as one of the toughest games on Nebraska's schedule because of where it sits. Yeah, uh, and because of the type of team that they are, and and you know they they pulled out their own kind of gritty win against Maryland. That that game's going to have a lot of juice, and that stadium's going to have some juice, and uh, it's going to be difficult. And so you you need one of your better players and Luke Reimer to be available to go for you. I haven't heard either what the the status is there, so. Uh, that's certainly something we're going to find out from Mickey on Tuesday, hopefully. Yeah, he said after the game that they were waiting on x-rays, and so we'll see. It looked like he kind of either reached for his knee or his hip. It was really quick, and then they cut away. And as, as maybe you noticed, they showed very few replays of plays they should have shown. So I don't know what, what may have happened to him, but you know, we'll, we'll find out, like you said, from Mickey on Tuesday. Last thing before I let you go, um, in terms of playing against – Purdue and then Illinois, and I know it's only one game at a time. Do you see the possibility of getting a split there? Because that that has to happen if we're actually going to talk about this team getting a bowl game, in my opinion. Yeah, I I think it can. Um, I I think 
think as it sits right now, the Purdue game is the slightly more winnable of the two. I think they're both difficult. Interesting. I mean, I, I look at both of those games as, you know, teams that have the ability to stress Nebraska in ways that, uh, you know, it makes it hard to stay in those games. But And it's crazy to be saying that about Purdue and Illinois. I mean, right. It's just not conventionally what you expect. But I, I think they can get a split. It, it's going to require them to have to put up more than 14 points, certainly. Sure. Uh, they're they're going to have to play a very similar game to kind of the Indiana one, right? Like they're going to need to to be able to put up points probably close to the thirty against Purdue, and then um, you know against Illinois they have to figure out how to stop the run, and I don't know that they could do that. And Illinois defense is probably the best they're going to play this year, and so this is a it's a it's a really tough tough matchup for them. I, I think that Illinois game, if Nebraska somehow survives against West Lafayette, the best thing the Huskers have going for them is that they're at home. Yes. So maybe you get a little extra juice from the crowd and all of that. But um, if they can get through Purdue, and then that Illinois game is looming pretty large. I wish you the perfect weekend after the Indians won yesterday, Vikings beat the Bears, and Giants beat the Packers. I wish you the perfect weekend. <laughs> Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, uh, I'm just going to enjoy having a, a pretty quiet Sunday. Yeah. That uh, I don't know that I've earned, but I'm going to take it anyway. Well, good luck on Sunday and any kind of investment you may have. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Schaefer. We appreciate it. 24-7 Sports Mike Schaefer joining us here on Severe Reaction. We'll take a break. We'll start the 9 o'clock hour. We'll look at the coaching search. Um, I hope people don't think it's unfair because, obviously, Mickey is still up for the job, but you consider him as you're making this list of – who should be on the list, who Trev should be talking to, and how they did. We'll do that. Also, in the next hour, we'll talk to Stephen M. Sippel as well from Husker Online. All that coming up in hour number two here on Severe Reaction on 1620 The Zone. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.